say yes. And uh, hey, can I give you a Christmas gift right now? I'm not going to open to Luke, all right? We're going to open to the book of Hebrews, all right? So Merry Christmas to you. Y'all with me on that one? And uh, if you're visiting with us, you're like, what are you talking about? Well, for the past two years, I've been in Luke's gospel. But, uh, and that's no exaggeration, all right? I had actually hoped next Christmas, or last Christmas rather, to be done with Luke's gospel. So I'm way behind. Are y'all listening? Hebrews chapter 1, though, is where we're going to find ourselves this morning. Hebrews chapter 1. And as you're opening up your Bible in the New Testament, I need to ask you a question. Did you know this? This is crazy. Did you know that there was a time in the life of Mary and Joseph where they absolutely lost Jesus? Did y'all know this? Jesus was like 12 years old, okay? And what was happening is Joseph and Mary, they were going to uh, Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. That was kind of their custom. And it uh, should have been because they were Israelites and so they would go there. Passover was this huge celebration where they would celebrate how God redeemed Israel, the Israelites out of Egyptians' bondage in the Old Testament. And you remember the story in the Old Testament whenever the Israelites would take the lamb's blood and place it over the doorpost of their home. Whenever God sent the death angel, the death angel through the city, it would actually pass over the homes where it saw the blood. So they would gather together every single year after that just to celebrate that occasion and what God had done in his miraculous redemption of his people. Now, Jesus, about 12 years old, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, tells us that, heads in with his family. They're at Passover, and they're having this huge celebration. Now, Passover was indeed a festive occasion, all right? Because what would happen is you would get together with all of your family members, people you hadn't seen for a long time. So your aunts, your uncles, your cousins. It would be like a reunion. And you not only would gather together with your family in reunion, but you also would gather together and you'd have a great meal with one another, and you would just catch up. So you talk about what you've been doing that past year and how your son or your daughter had been growing and what they were involved in, et cetera, et cetera. So there's this huge festive time. And then at the end of Passover, everybody would leave the city, but they would leave the city almost together in droves. And so Jesus' family would have literally been going with a whole bunch of other family members headed back home. Now, the interesting thing is that they traveled for an entire day, according to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And they realized all of a sudden that Jesus wasn't with them. Now, think about this, all right? Have you ever lost your kid before? I've lost some children. Y'all with me on that? So we got four. It's easy to do, and y'all are much better parents than I am, I'm sure, all right? But you lose them like in Walmart, right? So you're hanging out, and Walmart's just, you know, captivating, and so you forget about your children, and all of a sudden you realize they're not there, and you know that gut feeling you have whenever you realize, like, your kid's not around, and you, you're not really sure if you're nervous or excited. But anyway, so you're... <laughs> that was a joke. But anyway, so you're extremely nervous, and all of a sudden now you're calling out for your child. You're like, you know, mine's like, Gavin, where are you? And finally they come out, all right? Now, multiply that times like 10,000 for Joseph and Mary. They lost God's son, all right? So how do you do that? You know, horrible parents, all right? So they head back, they finally find Jesus. But you think about it, it was in the midst of all those festivities. So I started thinking Christmas is really the same, isn't it? It's a big festive occasion. We all get together with our family. It's like a family reunion, hanging out with aunts and uncles and cousins that we hadn't seen all year long. So it's almost like we're catching up with each other, and it's very festive. We're having dinner with each other. We're giving gifts. We're receiving gifts. All of this great time of reunion. But if we're not careful, the Christmas season will go right past us, and we'll totally forget Jesus. If Joseph and Mary can do it, you and I can do it as well. So our challenge really is that we wouldn't forget Jesus this Christmas, and that's what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. But before I do that, I want to give you kind of an illustration that I grabbed from Greg Laurie. Listen to what he writes. This is awesome. He said, let's say that it's your 40th birthday. So your friends and family get together and decide to throw you a really large party. 
Everyone you know is there. Uh, People have come in from out of town. They've bought the biggest cake you've ever seen. They actually have strung your name up in lights and hired a band to perform songs written exclusively about you. And there's just one oversight, however. Someone forgot to invite you to the party. And they are throwing that party in your honor. So then you think to yourself, I know what I'm going to do. They're so busy. They're so excited that they just forgot all about it. They forgot to tell me about it. So I'm just going to show up. They're going to be fired up when I enter into the door. So then imagine that you approach the house, you hear your name being sung, you see people talking about you and can't help but notice some pictures of you cleverly displayed all over the house. So you knock on the door anticipating how thrilled they're going to be whenever they see you and invite you in, but to your surprise they ignore you. You knock louder, you knock harder and someone actually makes eye contact with you and then says something to someone else. And still they go on with the party which is yours without letting you in. And then it dawns on you, maybe they didn't want you at the party to begin with. Christmas is a birthday party for the Son of God. And we gather together and we sing songs about Jesus. We may even string his name up in lights. But the question is, are we going to invite him to actually be a part? Or are we going to ignore him? So that's the challenge. That's what I've been challenged with. I have been personally reading through the book of Hebrews in my own devotion. I've been going through the New Testament, just landed in Hebrews about a week and a half ago and just enjoying what the Lord's teaching me. But in Hebrews chapter 1, the Lord really stamped it on my heart to remind me of how not to allow Christmas to pass me by without really genuinely celebrating the person of Jesus Christ. So in Hebrews chapter 1, the author opens up with a crescendo of praise for who Jesus Christ is. Really elevating the person of Jesus and encouraging you and I to look into his face and see his glory. And what we're going to do is be challenged to do that this morning. So Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. You guys stand with me in honor of God's word this morning. Hebrews 1 and verse 1, you got it there in front of you. Say yes. And the Bible says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Let's bow together. Father, we do thank you for your word. And this morning as we seek to spend the next few moments just simply magnifying and bragging on the person of Jesus, we ask that the Holy Spirit would take control of the entire room, that you would speak to hearts, draw people to you who do not know you personally, and challenge us in our walks with you this Christmas not to forget about you in the midst of the festivities, but to have you number one priority in our minds, in our hearts, and we'll give you glory for it. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray, and everybody said, Amen. You guys be seated this morning. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to brag on Jesus. Seven realities about the person of Jesus found in Hebrews chapter 1. Seven of them, all right? So let's go ahead. We'll start with number one. Here it is. Jesus is the heir of all creation. Jesus is the heir over all of creation. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, again, the Bible says, in these last days... God has spoken to us in His Son. Stop there for just a moment. Let me kind of uh, 
capsulize this in a few statements. The Bible teaches that God spoke to his people Israel in the Old Testament through prophets. So God would choose a prophet, God would give a word to that prophet, that prophet would then prophesy to the people of Israel. Many of the prophecies were actually pointing to the coming king who would be Jesus Christ. Now Jesus is the ultimate, final, best prophet to ever walk the face of the planet. And God, having spoken through those prophets in the Old Testament, was screaming out loud to creation through his son. The Bible says that he spoke finally and completely in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here in the Bible, we also see in Hebrews 1 and 2 that Jesus was the one whom God appointed heir of all things. Now we're reminded of Jesus, God's gift to the world. He was given sovereign control over all things upon the earth. Ultimately, Jesus will have had all things placed into subjection under his feet. Now although we live in a time when the Son's enemies are not yet a footstool, the New Testament promises the Son's complete victory in the end. Now in the past several weeks we've highlighted how God the Father has coronated His Son Jesus Christ and given Him a kingdom. That coronation occurred after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When He ascended into the heavens, God coronated Him as King over the universe and promised to give Him a kingdom to be established here upon the earth. So when Jesus does return again, he will establish a kingdom for 1,000 years. And during that particular time frame, especially as it comes to an end, the Lord Jesus Christ will put all of his enemies under his feet. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, then comes the end. Whom he has abolished, or rather when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. For Jesus must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. So the Lord Jesus Christ has put the enemies of his own life under his feet. He continues to do so and ultimately would do so completely and finally as king of kings. Now can I tell y'all something awesome just because I learned this this past week? Can I give this to y'all? That's a question, yeah? Here it is. God the Father is giving Jesus Christ the Son the kingdom. Now the book of Corinthians teaches us that what Jesus will do at the consummation of the age, when all of his enemies have become a footstool, is that he will take the same kingdom that was given to him by God the Father and he will give it back to God. Whereas God the Father will be God over all and in all. Isn't that amazing, right? So God's like, here, you can have a kingdom. Jesus Christ establishes a kingdom, puts all of his enemies under his feet like a footstool, and then he says, here, you can have the kingdom back. So there's this exchange of the kingdom. But currently the Bible teaches us that Jesus is heir over all of creation. So who is Jesus? That's who he is. Do not forget Jesus this Christmas. Point number two, Jesus is the maker of all things. Verse two, the Bible says, through whom also he made the world. That is, through Jesus, check it out, God made the world. Jesus was the intermediate agent of creation. Listen closely, theological principle, don't want you to miss it. Jesus did not come into existence when he was born on the earth. 
Jesus has always existed as a member of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So he did not come into existence at his birth. He is eternal and has always been. In fact, not only has he always been, but he will always be. So the Lord Jesus Christ, upon his entry into the earth, did not come into existence, but rather took on flesh so that you and I might behold the glory of God. Now, we know the Lord Jesus Christ was a part of creation because the Bible says, through Jesus, he made the world. Paul the Apostle notes in Colossians 1 and 16, For by Jesus all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Jesus and, check this out, for Jesus. So there is nothing in existence which Jesus did not create. And one commentator notes it like this, Jesus Christ is the creator of both the universe and the ages that roll in one upon the other. Creator of both the worlds and time as it moves forward from one event to another event, from one generation to another generation. John, who wrote a gospel, writes it like this. All things were made by Jesus. And without Jesus was not anything made that was made. So the Lord Jesus Christ made all things. The Bible says that he is the maker of all things. They were made for him and by him. Now that doesn't just speak of the universe, the trees, the sun, the moon, the rain, which you guys drove in to get here this morning. It's not simply those things, but the Lord Jesus also made you. And if he is the creator over your life, he has absolute authority over your life and understands why he created you. So there are some people who are like, why do I exist? Well, ask the one who made you. Jesus made you, therefore he knows why you exist and what purpose you have here upon the earth. You will never know satisfaction or purpose without a genuine relationship with your creator, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is indeed the creator of all things. Do not forget him this Christmas. Third point, here we go. Jesus is the reflection of God the Father. He's the reflection of God the Father. Look again in verse 3 in your Bible. Scripture says it right there at the very beginning of verse 3. He is the radiance of his glory. Now check it. Jesus is a direct reflection of the splendor of God the Father. So think about it like this. All of the brilliance of God the Father, all of His splendor, all of His radiance, all of His brightness, the entirety of God's being is in the person of Jesus. One commentator says it, the sun is the outraying or the outshining of the divine glory, exhibiting in Himself the glory and majesty of the divine being who is God the Father. John again writes it like this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. And it's an awesome statement there that he dwelt among us. It's the same term used to describe how God dwelt among his people in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God chose to dwell among his people in the tabernacle. It was a mobile tabernacle built by Israelites. They built this tabernacle. The Bible says that God uh, literally displayed or dwelt among them in smoke and in fire. Then the Bible teaches that Solomon actually built a temple. And the temple wasn't a mobile tabernacle, but a stationary one. And after that temple was built, the Bible says that God's glory filled the temple like smoke. So he dwelt among his people. 
in the Old Testament mobile tabernacle as well as in the Old Testament stationary temple. And then as we enter into the New Testament, we find Jesus Christ is the very one through whom God has chosen to dwell so that, listen, the entire world might be able to experience his glory. So God was in the Old Testament tabernacle, in the Old Testament stationary temple, and ultimately God pitched his tent in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus is God spelling himself out to the world. He is the exact radiance of the glory of God. So somebody says, I want to know who God is. Well, if you want to know who God is, you have to know him through Christ his son. That's how he's revealed himself. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we live in a culture in which we like to elevate this idea of God being some higher power out there. And so there are many people who talk about God in a very general term. And so they talk about God as a higher power, but they never mention the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, listen, if you are talking about a higher power that is uh, pushing aside the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are creating an idol which does not exist. Jesus is God in the flesh, representing by the radiance of his own life the very glory of God the Father. He's a reflection of God. Listen to what the Bible teaches us. Not only is he the reflection of God the Father, but Jesus is stamped with God's nature. He's stamped with God's nature. Verse 3, the Bible says again, Jesus, check it out, is the exact representation of his nature. And this speaks to the fact that Jesus is to express the image of God the Father. Uh, the word exact representation, by the way, used in classical Greek of an engraver. Somebody who mints a coin. It's a graving tool or a die or a stamp or a branding iron. Think about it like this. Metaphorically, it meant there was a distinctive mark or token impressed on a person or a thing by which it is known from others. It was a characteristic or the characteristic of. So Jesus was the perfect impress of God the Father. Jesus is the embodiment of Almighty God. Jesus said in John's Gospel, I and the Father are one. In other words, if you want to see the Father, Jesus says, look at me. I and the Father are one. Paul tells us in Colossians 1 and verse 9, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And the word image is a word that means icon in the Greek New Testament. It is the term, uh, literally the same term that we use to describe uh, the icons on a computer screen or the icons that are found on your smartphone, which we call applications. So here on my smartphone, I can pull up all of my applications. Got all my little games on there. Also got my calendar on here. I've got Amazon Kindle on here. I can tap on one of those little buttons and all of a sudden open up all of the books that I contain on the Amazon Kindle. Isn't that amazing? Can I get a witness on that? Y'all just be impressed with technology. You know what I'm saying? It is impressive. But here's the deal. Jesus Christ is the icon of the Father. So if you want to get to know God the Father, you've got to click on the person of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Jesus opens up to you and I who God is. Paul writes in Colossians 2.9, in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So if you want to know the nature and character of God the Father, you look into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you what Paul said? This is awesome. Paul said that you literally would see the glory of God, listen to this, in the face of Jesus. 
To know someone face-to-face means to identify with them, to have a relationship with them. So if you want to know God the Father, you get to know him through a personal, real relationship with Jesus Christ, his son. There is no other way. So Jesus literally is stamped with God's nature. Now, I love this, all right? If you want to know the nature and character of God the Father, you look to the person of Jesus Christ. That's who we're celebrating at Christmas. Don't forget him. Give you another answer or another statement here, rather. Jesus is the sustainer of the universe. Look at verse 3 in your Bible. Scripture says, He upholds all things by the word of His power. So Jesus, by His own word, is maintaining the universe in order. One commentator says it like this All things maintain their coherence in Jesus. The Lord Jesus holds all things together and in their proper relationship to each other by His own power. The oceans are held in their beds by the Lord Jesus. The rivers run down into the sea because Jesus declares it so. The heavenly bodies are held in the orbits because the word of Jesus Christ holds them there. The Bible says in Colossians 1.17, Jesus is before all things and in Jesus all things hold together. So even those who are unbelievers who declare that they do not need the Lord Jesus Christ have no clue what they're talking about. Jesus is holding the entire universe together by the word of his power. So even those who are unbelievers, the Bible says that the Lord reigns on the just and the unjust. So even those who are outside of the faith are in deep need of the Lord Jesus Christ because if for one single solitary second he backs off off the word of his power, the entire universe would implode. But Jesus now is holding it together. And I love the fact that the Bible says he's holding it together by the word of his power. So he's not even holding it together by his hands. Y'all listening? Just by his word. He's like, stay put. Y'all all right? That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? That is how powerful Jesus Christ truly is. Again, the Bible says, Colossians 1.17, is before all things and in him all things hold together. Think about that, all right? The sustainer of the universe holds it by the word of his power, the creator of all things, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is eternal, existing with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, came as a small child over 2,000 years ago in a manger as a crying baby. It's pretty amazing. The one who is without any need had to be held by his mother, had to be cared for by his mother. The one without any need had to be watched out after by his mother who didn't do all that good of a job, at least on one occasion, that we know about. All the rest, they're like, don't, don't, don't tell about it. Don't write that on Don't forget Jesus this Christmas, all that he has done. And by the way, some people look at the uh, incarnation of Jesus, which means the fact that Jesus came in the flesh, and they're like, well, whenever he came, did he cease to be God? Because, you know, he, he doesn't do all of these things. No, no, no. The Bible teaches in Philippians 2 that he laid aside these divine prerogatives. Did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and became a servant, a bondservant, all the way to the point of death, death on a cross. So Jesus did not cease being God when he came in the flesh. He laid aside divine attributes so that he could live as a man, be tempted in all ways as we are, and go and be the perfect sacrifice on the cross at Calvary as a man for us. 
Y'all out there saying, yeah. Y'all with me? It's a lot of theology out in this sermon, ain't it? It's still coming. Here it is. Y'all ready? Here's another one. Jesus, and I love this. This is probably my favorite one. He is the purifying agent of sin. Purifying agent of sin. Verse 3, the Bible says, Jesus, when he had made purification of our sins. Now, the author of Hebrews here is pointing to the purpose of Jesus entering the world. So Jesus came to serve as redeemer of humanity. He did this by making purification, by making a way for man to be cleansed of his sin. So Jesus Christ, the Son, brought to us the grace of God. He, speaking of Jesus, being perfectly holy and without sin himself, served as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. His death on the cross for sin made it possible for man to be cleansed and purified from the stain of sin, which all of us are born with. And when a man believes in Jesus Christ, the righteousness and the death of Jesus Christ covers over his life. God honors the man's faith by counting the man as being righteous based upon the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the purifying agent of sin. Now here's what's awesome, all right? You keep reading through the book of Hebrews, you'll find that there's a word that keeps showing up, and the word is better. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the Levitical priesthood. So many times it just mentions how Jesus Christ is better. Here's what some people were arguing about. I want y'all just to hear this because this is awesome. There were some people arguing that Jesus could not be a priest on our behalf because Jesus was not in the lineage of the Levitical priesthood. And so because he wasn't in that order, they claimed that there's no way Jesus could be a priest. And so the book of Hebrews makes it very plain that Jesus Christ was indeed our high priest. But Jesus Christ was a high priest not in the order of the Levitical priesthood, but in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is an Old Testament figure who approaches the scene during the life of Abraham. Abraham pays tithes to Melchizedek. The Bible doesn't mention that Melchizedek uh, dies. Some commentators have actually declared that Melchizedek was a picture of the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. And so here you have the order of Melchizedek where he served in a priesthood, and the only other priest in that line is the Lord Jesus. But the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that that priesthood was even greater than the earthly priesthood of the Levitical system. And so, y'all still with me? Say yes, because I'm going somewhere because it gets pretty rad right here, all right? Y'all listening, yeah? So the Lord Jesus came to the earth, and he was indeed the purifying agent of our sin because he died on the cross for us. But he also was not only the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, but he was our high priest who entered into the true tabernacle of heaven. So the Bible teaches us in the book of Hebrews that the immobile tabernacle and the stationary tabernacle of the Old Testament was only a copy or a type of the true heavenly tabernacle. The true heavenly tabernacle is the one through which Jesus Christ entered as our high priest. That's where he serves as high priest, not on the earthly tabernacle. He is a part of a much greater tabernacle, which is the tabernacle of heaven. The Bible tells us in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 3 that the Lord Jesus would be the purifying agent, check this out, even of those who are from the priesthood of Levi. 
So there is this awesome truth of who Jesus is. He is the one who died on the cross for our sin, entered into the true heavenly tabernacle, and there he sat down on the true Ark of the Covenant in the real Holy of Holies, and there he remains to cover over the sin which you and I have uh, committed in our life because that sin is a reminder inside the Ark of the Covenant where the Ten Commandments are located. And so Jesus sits over our sin for forever reminding you as well as myself that our sin has been totally taken care of. We have been purified. It's a free gift. God gives that to every single true believer. So Jesus is the purifying agent of sin. Did I lose y'all? Like y'all didn't even move. I don't know. Just read Hebrews, man. It's crazy good, all right? Last truth. Here it is. Jesus is the king of glory. Verse 3, the Bible says, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much better than angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. So after the crucifixion of Jesus, he was resurrected from the dead. He ascended into the heavens and sat down at the most exalted place in heaven, the right hand of God. Now, if you and I lived in this particular culture and we invited some folks over to our house, what we would do is we'd invite them in and the uh, owner of the home would sit at the head of the table. So let's say I invited you over and I'm sitting at the head of the table. You would think the head of the table was the most important seat in the house, but it's not the most important seat. The most important seat in the house is the one to the right of the head of the table. And whoever was sat there would be the person that the head of the table would know all of the guests that this is the one that we are elevating and we are celebrating. And so Jesus, after his death, burial, and resurrection, ascends into the heavens, and the Bible says God the Father had him seat at the right hand of his majesty, which shows you and I that God the Father was exalting Jesus Christ the Son to the greatest place of honor in heaven and in glory. So where is Jesus now? Jesus says at the right hand of God the Father. That's where he is. And the Lord Jesus Christ is exalted as the Lord and sovereign king over the universe. So think about Jesus. A lot of stuff that I've said this morning, but consider here for just a moment. Jesus, the Son, is a prophet through whom God spoke his final word. Jesus, the Son, is a priest who removed the blood of sin from our ledger. Jesus, the Son, is the King exalted by God to a supreme place of honor. And ultimately, the Hebrew author right here in the onset is arguing that Jesus is the best prophet. He's better than the prophets of old. He's also arguing that the Lord Jesus is actually better than the angels. And this is what's happening in second century uh, uh, Christianity. There were many people who began to worship angels. It's called angelology. And so they would begin to elevate all of these angels. But then the Hebrew author said, no, no, no. You need to understand that Jesus is better than the angels. He says not only are they better than the angels, but we realize that Jesus is better because the angels announced his birth and the angels worshiped Jesus at his birth. So just as Luke records, and you know, I had to come back to Luke. Y'all with me on that? So here's what Luke says. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. 
But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And then check this out. And suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Yeah, I like this part. Suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So right there at the announcement of the birth of Jesus, God pulls back the heavens for just a moment and the shepherds have the privilege of seeing a host of angels in glory worshiping the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is much better than the angels. Which, by the way, just letting you know, angels are talked about in Hebrews too. Y'all still with me? Say yeah. So angels, the Bible says, are ministering spirits to believers. All right? So they are present. In fact, the book of Hebrews, says that you and I can show hospitality to an angel unaware. So that is you welcome someone into your home, welcome somebody into your life, and somehow or another, sometimes God may very well have an angel ministering to you and you didn't even know it. Y'all all right with that? It's in the Bible. But Jesus is better than the angel. Because what happens is some people are like, man, I want a guardian angel. Let me get some angels and hang them from my rearview mirror in the car. Jesus is better than the angels. You want Jesus, man, so you want. Now, think about this. Y'all still with me, say, yeah. Can I come sit down? I'm tired. Here, here's what I want you to see. Y'all can still see me, right? Uh, this, is, this is awesome. The angels, I don't know if I can sit down and tell y'all this. The angels are celebrating Jesus Christ right now as we gather together to worship. But they are celebrating in a manner, can, let me say it to you like this. You and I can celebrate Jesus far more than even the angels can. Now somebody's like, well, how is that? Here's, here's how. Because you and I can't experience something that angels can't experience. Well, what is that? Here, here's what it is. Redemption. See, the Bible says that demons are fallen angels from heaven. So they are upon the earth now. But here's the deal. There is no redemptive property in the sacrifice of Christ for angels. They can't be redeemed. They are damned for eternity. Y'all listening? You and I are born into our sin, and we are damned for eternity. But God so loved you and I that he sent his son Jesus to die for us to redeem us from sin. Peter says it like this. The angels don't even understand salvation. They are peering into it, overwhelmed at how the Lord changes people's lives. Angels can't figure it out. But you and I who have experienced that, how much more, how greater should our praise be for the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who took us, redeeming us from our sin, redeeming us from a road that was leading to hell, purifying us, making us righteous like his son Jesus, putting us on a road now that leads to heaven. And it's like, how did we earn that? We didn't. It was all grace. So whenever somebody comes into here, to this place, to worship this coming year, they ought to be walking into a place, and it's almost like God himself peeled back the heavens, and they realize that there's a group of people in there who've been changed, and they just are celebrating with the angels of glory. That's what church ought to be like. Y'all out there saying, 
So who are you going to celebrate this Christmas? There is no other greater than him. Don't forget him. Let's bow. Father, we do thank you for your word and pray that we grow in our walks with you. 